Hello everyone and welcome to the Rennick Centre podcast. Today we speak to Grace Ambrose, professor at Hunter College in New York and co-founder of Safe Toddles. Grace shares with us about what is a wearable cane and how we can support the early orientation and mobility development of infants and toddlers with vision impairment and blindness. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to today's Rennick Centre podcast. My name is Trudy Smith and today I'm joined by Grace Ambrose. Grace, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yes, I am a uh, professor at Hunter College of the City University of New York, where I coordinate the graduate programs in rehabilitation, teaching, and orientation and mobility. And I'm the founder, co-founder of Safe Toddles, uh, which is what we're talking about today. Sure. And I'm fascinated by this topic. What is a wearable white cane? Thank you. It is an innovation on the white cane. It's um, an age-appropriate way of connecting to the cane. So we're used to the white cane being something you connect with by grasping with your hand, but that's not available for some of us. So this is a help on that. Sure. But why have I never heard of this before? Because it's so brand new. We've only begun the process of letting people know about it. And we are a very, very small innovation uh, group at the City College of the City University of New York, um, where the engineering lab is located. And it's, it's such a new idea. And we are taking every advantage to let people know about it because it's such an important uh, innovation on this cane for the very little kids, uh, babies on up to age five. Yeah. And I mean, when I was looking at your website, safetoddles.org, there's this little girl, Alala, um, who's 17 months old. She's got severe vision impairment. She's wearing the white cane and she's running from her mum. She's so freed, independent. She's in a shopping mall and mum actually calls her Miss Independent. She's miles from anybody. She's, and I, I know her, her outcomes aren't typical. For, for, for children her age without the wearable white cane. And I know you guys are really proud of, of her as one of your examples, but is, is this unique, the outcomes, or could everyone who's using this wearable white cane get these kinds of outcomes for these little people? The interesting thing about the being blind and being born blind is that it's been a mystery for centuries. And we have cataloged in our textbooks and all of the popular fiction as well as nonfiction books about how, you know, there's kind of a seer and they know what they need to do and just leave them alone and they'll let us know what they need. And, and then there are other things that say, well, if only they had vision, then they would be motivated to go. And they're actually blind kids are five and younger who are pre-verbal in in that they are very one and two and three they're very delayed in their language they have a hard time expressing themselves and so when we see alila doing these amazing things in the mall running away from her mother it's astonishing because we're just not used to seeing kids who are severely visually impaired doing these things and especially the kids who are blind running and this sort of box with everything that we've been taught that they are not motivated to move if only they could see then they would be motivated which doesn't make much sense if you've ever met a child (laughs) I mean we always right we always say if we could bottle that energy (laughs) 
And there's no difference here if sec that visual impairment robs children of their path information. So they're not able to see the next step. And so what can happen then is, well, what happens when you can't see the next step? I mean, you turn on the light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Because if you try, like in the middle of the night, you say, well, should I turn on the light or should I try to make it to the bathroom without turning on the light, right? It's just, you're not sure which is the better option. But turning on the light means that you're probably not going to crash your shin into that table or sure. stub a toe. So that's your path information and it makes it easier and much more efficient to move through space when you have it. So our little ones, it's never been about motivation. It's the opposite, that they have been asked to do the impossible. They are asked to run freely without knowing if the next step is going to be a table, a chair, free and clear, or a cliff. And they, everyone's like, well, trust me, trust me. I wouldn't let anything happen to you. <laughs> But that's not, you know, true. They can't be there all the time and it doesn't work to say stop to a one-year-old. Um, as anyone would tell you, they just can't, you can't verbally protect someone from running into something. No. Um, that's why seatbelts are the way they are. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where we've known there's a problem and the literature has defined it in five different ways. The first way is we look at the stereotypical, you know, we're trying to get them to stop poking their eye and waving their hands and, and doing all sorts of what we've named these things that they do with their hands that um, say, well, that's kind of typical of, of a child. And then the motor delays, it's also, we call that um, the fencer gate the yep. wide base gate, like of all these names and it kind of sort of normalizes this kind of abnormal behavior and says, well, this is a normal outcome of being blind. And then the same with concepts. It's like, well, their concepts are delayed, but that's typical. They'll pick up, oh, their language is delayed because they don't have concepts. And then their social skills are yeah. delayed. And all of these camps, as it were, are separate silos of inquiry. And what I have found is that there's this running through all of them is this need for path information that were it for quality path information, they wouldn't turn sideways. So one of uh, my co-founder, Professor Marlon Bixon, he's an engineer and he noticed, he said, why are they turning their bodies square on when they wear the cane? Why don't they keep their sideways fencer gait? And I said, because it's much more efficient. Yeah. for the body to walk in the way it was intended to walk. And when they get that path information, they, they turn, they face forward, and they start running. Many of them do. Sure. And, and that's what this wearable white cane is providing early? It's providing the missing path information. Their vision cannot provide. Okay. Um, so what is your mission at Safe Toddles? Our mission is to build and donate wearable canes, and we are doing it in a very small scale right now. We actually have sent a couple of canes over to Australia, I'm happy to and pleased to report, and eight other countries have um, gotten canes sent to them. Israel just called us, I was on the phone with them yesterday, and they were like, we need more, more canes. And it's difficult because at this point, their prototypes. And so our mission as a nonprofit is also to build our ability to create the canes in a, 
in a mass produced way. Right now they're custom made canes for each child gets one fit. Yeah. So I've seen them because I've been on your website, but could you describe what they look like and the texture and those sorts of things for our audience? They are the belt, which is made of seatbelt material and foam, um, gets together with a Velcro-like fixed facet. And then there are magnets on either side that connect the frame. The frame is made of carbon fiber, which is a cane material. And that extends forward of the child and connects at the bottom with the base, which has two ball bearings. And so that precedes the child and the ball bearings are, you know, roll over most everything. It's about an inch of clearance in between the two ball bearings, much like the a cane arc, which is what it was designed to be like. Sure, sure. The fact you're giving them away for free at the moment is, is amazing. And for, for anyone who's feeling philanthropic or really inspired by this, how can we support you with this work? Well, we do have a um, donate button on our website and we do accept donations. We're certainly interested in partnering with um, early intervention um, you know, how that is done throughout the different countries to see if there's a way to, to make it easier to get them to the kids locally. I mean, the biggest problem is that there's a huge paradigm shift in the way that we provide services to this early group. And there are, it's the families, they see it and they, they get it immediately. They understand that my child is not being successful, that they are falling down, that they are running into the wall, that they that it's difficult for them to freely explore for all those reasons. But the professionals are, many of them wedded to really getting them to use long canes as early as possible. And the long cane, which is the, the stick, a lot of people call it a stick, was, you know, cane, was something that in the 40s came out for adults as a great tool. It requires the arc to be one step, one swipe, every step. And that kind of commitment is something that I can teach an adult at Hunter College, at grad school, I can teach an adult to do that in 15 minutes or less. I have found that children could be for four, five, six, seven plus years and never achieve that one step, one swipe. And so all I would ask is to say, well, what in between time, in between those lessons, what are they, how are we giving them path information? And it's like, well, it's a child's fault. They're not doing it. It's the parent's fault that they're not doing it. It's, they never blame the fact that the tool is a mismatch for the skill level of the person that's trying to use it. And I really feel that if it took an adult four years to learn how to use a cane, that they would look for something else because it wouldn't be fast enough for them, that they would be having another look around. And it's a very effective tool for anyone who can use it that way. Um, But to, to my mind, the biggest hurdle that we have in raising money is not, you know, something we'd like to do, but it's, it's helping people get to a place where they want to give consistent tactile path information to babies and let them wear it all the time. Yeah. I mean, one thing we got to think about is wheelchairs are very much in the same vein. It's a mobility device for people who are paralyzed and no one would say, Hey, take that wheelchair away from the child because they should, I don't know, use crutches. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
So in this way, we're saying, let them wear their cane all the time. It makes a huge difference for them in their freely exploring. Trust me, it gets, the children start running away, as you saw Lila do. And it, and they don't sit anymore. That's the thing that is so amazing. I, we have a three-year-old. She's worn it for over a year now. She mixes it up. She's at the park. She's off and running. I mean, the parents, they, it's all they can do to keep track of this three-year-old. <laughs> it's, it's normalizing the <laughs> toddlerdom, isn't it, really? It really adds a great burden. <laughs> <laughs> And, no, it's, it's, and that's what parents want, I think, is that freedom. It really, yeah. And I, I, we're going to share your website on, um, on the site so that people can, can look this up as well. But is that the best way for people to get in touch with you if they've got more questions or want to talk uh, about this with you? Yes, that's where everything is. I can be reached at the, uh, at the webs at my email, uh, grace at safetoddles.org. I'm always open to answering questions and helping of families because sometimes it could be another there's an in-between like there's the wearable belt cane some kids call it and then there's the long cane which is the stick and in between is a nice shape and I call it a stationary arc which is what the belt cane uses it's an arc that doesn't have to be pushed back and forth back and forth so there are kids who are five years old who are maybe too tall for a wearable cane and they're still not getting the long cane sweep back and forth um, they can just push that in front of them and they will immediately have that path information everywhere they go and it's so simple for them and I think that that's the idea we want to make getting tactile path information as simple as possible for kids who aren't mastering that long cane. It shouldn't be hard to do um, the long cane. And if, it's if they find it very hard to do, they're, oh, they should be trying something else. Um, and and you know, a lot of parents are like, well, I give my child a push toy. And I think there's a lot of room for thinking about the, how much we use our eyes for path information. And when though it's not available to us, like cortical visual impairment, mm -hmm. the path information is incomplete, it's changing. And while there's a goal for visual use to become more you know, capable with their use of the vision, in the meanwhile, there's a great need for consistent information about the path ahead. And so we have found that these kids, when they get it's a clear path or a blocked path, they are so much less stressed out. I mean, yeah. that's, that's where these stereotype, you know, hitting and, and poking come from. It comes from a stress and anxiety that is asking kids to do the impossible, which is move through space. And we know that children, if you're stressed or angry, all of us, we don't learn. And so right. all those other learning experiences aren't available if you're stressed about just moving. It is exactly right. You could, I couldn't have said it better that that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. you know, first it's your personal needs and then it's safety and feeling, you know, belonging and so on. These things can't exist if you're constantly worried about what's next on your footing. And then to sit still, then children are the smartest kids in the room when they sit still because they have found a way to stop bruising and running into things but unfortunately um you know that's not a great 
choice because he need to move to learn. So it does look funny. One thing I do want to say is um, I've had to learn everything I know about wearable canes from the kids who wear them. I had a bias going into this. Everything I thought that would be a problem for children is was wrong, and everything I thought would be a benefit is absolutely <laughs> right in the way that they need it. But they they have shown me such a capacity to move and such an interest in moving. And even with the cane that they wear, it pushes them back. Like every time they run into something, there's this like push back a little bit. Um, and I and and when you see it as a sighted person, you go, oh, that seems very excessive. But you can imagine the, that is so much better and for the children that they, they receive this information and they can make a decision about it, that they have this two steps uh, away from this object and they, they don't mind it at all. They welcome that pushback. So it's a, it's, a lot to, it's a lot of new things, but it's such an exciting innovation because it's a tested, time-tested idea in a form that's age appropriate. Sounds fantastic. And I, I was really enjoying the videos on the website. I really encourage our audience to go and have a look at these little independent people. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Grace, th thanks so much for your time. We will direct everybody to your website, but for now, thanks for your time. Thank you. So much fun, Trudy. It was wonderful of you to invite me on your show. You're the best. A big thank you to Grace for speaking with us today. To find out more about the wearable white cane, visit the Safe Toddles website, safetoddles.org.